Charles Haddon Spurgeon was one of the great preachers and pastors of his age. Great not just because he was greatly gifted, but great because he was greatly used by his great God. And it's that that we always want to focus on as we learn from his sermons how we can more effectively exalt Christ in our living and in our serving. And it's an effective sermon to that end this week. The title is The Great Itinerant, The Great Traveller. And the sermon was delivered on the 22nd of October, 1865, at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in Newington in London. The text on this occasion was Acts chapter 10, verse 38, who went about doing good. And this is our featured sermon for this week. It's number 655 in the sequence that you find in the Metropolitan Tabernacle pulpit. The uh, weekly readings are from 654 to 660, 660. Those are our daily sermons, if you're able to do that. If you're only following once a week, then it's 655. And if you want to know what that is and, and have it in your inbox, you can go to mediagratii.org podcasts and you can sign up to a weekly newsletter. Now, Spurgeon's sermon on this occasion begins by driving us toward the object of all true preaching. Peter is speaking to Cornelius and he's focusing on the person and work of Christ. This, says Spurgeon, should be an example to all professed ministers of the gospel. We might say less about other matters without loss if only we would say more about the Lord Jesus. If we should omit some other teaching, if there were more of a savour of the name and of the person of Jesus Christ in our ministry, those omissions might be tolerated. And so, says Spurgeon, we commend Peter as an example to all who preach or teach, whether in the street, the sick chamber or the house of prayer. Do as Peter did. Come at once to the soul of your ministry and set forth Christ crucified in plain and simple language. He goes on to say that uh, while there's much more that we could say about the text, only let the Holy Spirit help us to dilate or expand upon the gospel of the Lord Jesus and we have no need to wander abroad for foreign themes. We can sit at the foot of the cross and find a perpetually profitable subject there. There's no need to gather the sheaves of science or the sweet flowers of poesy. Christ Jesus is both our science and our poetry, and as ministers we are complete in him. When we come forth to preach him and to lift him up, we are armed from head to foot and rich with weapons for our spiritual warfare. Though learning and art have had no hand in fashioning our panoply, that is our uh, complete suit of armour, we need not fear that we shall meet a single foe who can withstand the terror of those celestial arms or, or weapons. So he's saying keep close to Christ. Make sure that he is your first and central theme. And then he says, out of this sermon that Peter preaches, there are a few words which are an exquisite miniature of the Lord Jesus Christ. A little pen portrait, strokes of a master's pencil, not too many touches, but def definitively and uh, exclusively of Christ. He did good and good only. And you cannot say that about any other leader. The best of men being men at best so mingled seed. If they scatter handsful of wheat, there is here and there a grain of darnel. 
However carefully they may select the grains, yet the cockle and the hemlock will fall from their hands, as well as the good seed corn of the kingdom. Of the master, and only of the master, it is true in the fullest and the broadest and most unguarded sense, he went about doing good. And so, two simple divisions. I want you to consider him, says our preacher, and I want you then to consider yourselves. Now, the vast majority of the material is under that first heading. The second is really uh, just a couple of specific applications. And Spurgeon wants us to consider him under three subheadings. His object, then his mode, and then his motive. We could put it this way, what the Lord Jesus did, how the Lord Jesus did it, and why the Lord Jesus did it. So then, his object, and his object was to do good. His travel was no listless motion, no purposeless wandering hither and thither. And so, O man of God, have a purpose and devote your whole life to it. Don't be an arrow shot at random as in child's play, but choose your target and swift as the bullet whizzes to the mark, so you fly onwards toward the great aim and object of your life. This then was Christ's eternal purpose. It was something that he had upon his soul long before the very nature of man itself, long before uh, anything else came to be. It was always his desire, always his intention, always his purpose to accomplish good. On earth, however, there was the widest scope and the amplest room for goodness in its largest sense, and so that intent and design must spill over from the heavenly realms and throngs into earth itself. So before the lamps of heaven were kindled or stars began to glitter in the vault of night, it was the eternal purpose of Christ that he would do good. This was then his practical object, when he made his ever-memorable descent from the throne of his splendour to the manger of his poverty. Well might angels then sing as they did, for Christ came not to condemn, but to do good. And so this was his official prerogative. It was his uh, reflected even in his names and titles, when he's called Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins, when he's named Christ because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. It speaks of a man whose office it is to do good. And every name which belongs to the Saviour communicates the same. Is he a shepherd? He must do good to his sheep. Is he a husband? He must love his church and give himself for her, that he may cleanse and perfect her. Is he a friend? He's one who sticks closer than a brother and does good. Is he the lion of the tribe of Judah? Then it's not to do damage or mischief to innocence and weakness, but so that, strong as a lion when he tears his prey, he may rend in pieces the foe of truth and goodness. Is he a lamb? Herein his goodness shows itself most completely, for he lays down his life that his Israel may go free when the destroying angel smites Egypt. But it was not only his intention and object, not just his prerogative, his actual performance. It wasn't just a, a design or a desire. He actually worked this out. And Spurgeon says he did it in at least three spheres. Don't forget that he did good physically. 
We thought that our Lord did this not merely to show his power and universality of his benevolence and to teach spiritual truth by active parables, but also to say to us in these days, followers of Jesus, do good in all sorts of ways. So Spurgeon says, just look at the many ways in which the Lord Christ was pleased to do good and then do likewise. Let no act of mercy seem beneath him who is a follower of the man that went about doing good. There is, he says, a spirit springing up among us which is very dangerous, though it wears the garb of excessive spirituality. It is unpractical, unchristlike, and it sounds like this. Well, the sons of men tried to improve the world and make it better, but as for Enoch, the man of God, he knew that the world was so bad that it was of no avail to attempt to better it, and therefore he left it alone and walked with God. It may be well, they say, for such carnal-minded Christians as some of us to try and improve society and to give a better tone to morals, but these dear spiritual brethren, says Spurgeon, are so taken up with divine things and so assured that the mission is of a super-celestial character that they will have nothing to do with blessing mankind, being quite sufficiently occupied with blessing themselves and one another. Don't fall into that trap, says Spurgeon. If you read any of him, you'll know, and it's going to come out in this sermon too, that the great concern is spiritual good. But, says Spurgeon, that doesn't mean that you don't do all the good that you can when you have the opportunity. The large-heartedness of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, is one of the most glorious traits in his character. He scattered good of all sorts on all sides. So let us, if we profess to be his followers, never be straightened, never be restrained, we might say, even by pretended spirituality. Do good as much as lies in you to the utmost extent of your power and let that be of every sort. He goes on to say that our Lord was pleased to do moral good. Even where he didn't spiritually save, he elevated nonetheless. He lifted people up out of degradation and vice. The Christian minister must not lay aside his ministry to become the mere moralist lecturer, says Spurgeon. That's not his point but he may and should lecture upon morals and he can say some things in lectures which he could not say in sermons. Really helpful here for preachers. Don't, don't mistake your calling and don't uh, confuse the different elements of your labours. Spurgeon says it is the Christian minister's place not simply to preach the high and glorious doctrine of the cross, but also to deal with the current sins of mankind as did the prophets of old and to inculcate, that is to encourage and advance, those virtues most needed in the state as did men God sent in the ages which are past. But his point is, don't mistake the lectern and the pulpit. Make sure you know what you're doing and where and why. But then, most importantly, the great good that the Spirit, that the Saviour set out to do was spiritual. This was the great end at which he was driving, the bringing out of a people prepared to receive himself and his salvation. He came preaching grace and peace. His great object was the spiritual emancipation, the freeing of the bondaged souls of men. That was the good that our Lord Jesus Christ came to do. And he wrought enduring good which abides with us now. The good that holy men do is imperishable 
and of Christ that is preeminently true, for he was the God-man. Look upon the world now and see whether Jesus Christ is not still in spirit going about doing good, says the preacher. He's gone up to glory, but the spirit of his life and his teaching is among us still. And what is his religion doing? Ask of our sires, our fathers, and they will tell you how this land was translated from a region of savages into the abode of peace and joy. And the same thing is happening wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ truly flies. It's worth bearing in mind here that Spurgeon doesn't have uh, much truck with the idea of uh, cultural imperialism. He knows that the gospel elevates, civilizes, as well as saves. And he's happy to recognize that it does good, preeminently spiritual good, but also other kinds of good wherever it goes. And Christian men and women should not be embarrassed to follow in their saviour's footsteps. So, he says, read this too as a comfort if you're seeking Jesus. If you want good, why should this Jesus not give it to you? If you desire mercy and grace, will he not readily bestow it? If you come to him and say, O you who in the days of your flesh took pity upon misery and wretchedness in every shape, take pity upon me, save me with your great salvation, Do you imagine, asks Spurgeon, that such a prayer should go up to heaven in vain? Or will his ear still be open to the complaint of your woe and his hand still ready to give the healing touch and his voice to say, I am willing, be clean. So there is the the what of the Lord's activity. There's the intent, the object was to do good. But, says Spurgeon, remember the mode. How did he do this? We're told that he went about doing good, and this suggests several things to Spurgeon. First of all, he did good personally. He didn't pass it on to others. He didn't slope the shoulders. He touched the leper with his own finger. He visited the bedside of those sick with fever. In cases where he was asked to speak the word only at a distance, he usually did not comply with such a request. A lesson to us, if we would do good well, to do it ourselves. We can't do all, some things, we, we can't do all things, but let's do what we can. So much, he says, depends upon the way of doing good. Don't just pass on the doing of good to someone else. You can maybe give away more money by giving it to somebody else, but the look, the word, the prayer, the tear that comes with the gift will often be more valuable to He gives an example, the widow, than that half crown which you have given her. The personal touch, the personal investment, the personal engagement. We might say in this connection, if you're a member of the church, don't leave it to a pastor or a deacon to do all the good. Don't assume that because you've given to the church or because you're glad that it's being done, that this is enough. Fish with your own hooks, says Spurgeon. Go seeking souls for yourselves. Go doing good for yourselves in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then our Lord not only went about doing good personally, but his very presence did good. The presence of the Saviour in itself is a good, apart from the blessings which he bestowed. At the sight of him, and this is true still, courage revived, drooping faith grew strong, hope brushed a tear from her eye, and smiled. 
The sight of Jesus Christ at once calmed the waves and hushed the winds and did so a thousand times in men's souls. Spurgeon asks, Is our presence likewise a means of bringing a blessing where we go? And then our Lord went about doing good with incessant activity. He never stopped. He didn't only do the good which was brought to him, as when men were brought on their beds, but he went about. He was not satisfied with being still. He sought out things to do. Oh, the creeping, crawling manner, says Spurgeon, in which some people serve the Lord. The very way in which some people mumble through religious exercises is enough to make one sick at heart to think that the solemn offices of religion should be entrusted to such inanimate beings. Be zealous as the Lord was. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The text also implies that Christ went out of his way to do good. He went about doing good. He didn't take particular shortcuts because there were people dwelling in the the long routes, if you like, the roundabout way that he needed to meet with. And so don't be content to do good in the regular circle of your movements. So far, so good. But go beyond your old line. Break through the bounds of propriety every now and then and do an odd thing. Show yourself a, a follower of the Jesus who went about who took those extra opportunities, who made the extra opportunities. Ah, dear friends, many people are so particular about making a little dust or breaking up a few tiles, but our mind, says Spurgeon, is never care about that. There'll be a time to clean the repair after souls are saved, and for so great an end as salvation, we may neglect some few niceties and punctilios and be most of all vehemently desirous that we may do good. In other words, says Spurgeon, you don't need to be too careful. Don't be so marked by an overwhelming sense of propriety that you actually end up with your hands tied. But still, the text means too that Christ went far in doing good. The district of Palestine was not very large, but he went to the limit of it. He went to the, the verge of it. He went to the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. If he can't yet go over the mark, yet he will go up to the edge. If so, if there should be happen to be any limit to your doing good in any particular place, at least go to the end of the limit. Go as far as you can in doing good. And when you can go no further, then it's okay to stop. But don't stop until you've reached the limit. You may go on a mission to the heathen without going out of this huge town of ours, says Spurgeon. You can, you can find ungodly men and women everywhere around us and and that's probably even more true in the modern world than it was in Spurgeon's day and then a couple of thoughts on the motive of Christ's doing good why well partly because he couldn't help it it was his very nature he was all goodness and as the clouds which are full of rain empty themselves upon the earth so must he and so Spurgeon's got a lovely little point here, we, we'll just move across it, that good things God makes are diffusive. A good that God makes tends to flow outwards, it tends to spread itself. Uh, it uses the example of, of the sun. God has made the sun to cheer us and it does so without any real restraint. It gleams as cheerfully and willingly upon the rags of poverty as in the marble halls. But most importantly... It is a display of the glorious attributes of God that
that Christ went about doing good. The Son wanted to reveal his Father, Jehovah revealed in his splendour to the eyes of adoring men. Christ, then, is the manifestation of Godhead. He is the express image of his Father's person. In him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, and though heaven and earth and sky and sun and stars all show forth something of the goodness of God, yet the life of Jesus is the fullest and clearest manifestation of the beneficence, the the good doing of deity that ever will be accorded to the sons of men. This is an object worthy of God to manifest himself, and such an object Christ set before him when he came to do good among the sons of men. A little comment before he finishes. If Christ went about doing good, and if his motive was simply God's glory, poor troubled sinner, can he not glorify God in you? So now you've got this wonderful sketch of the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of these few words, Spurgeon, I think with real legitimacy, has drawn this this pencil sketch, but given us a little colour from Peter's master craftsmanship with his gospel pencil. He's, he's shown us Christ going about doing all kinds of good. He's shown us Christ and he's done that good uh, willingly and cheerfully and, and zealously. He's endeavoured to go far and wide in doing good. And he's done it because he is good and because in his goodness we see the goodness of the Godhead. Now, Spurgeon comes in the second place to consider ourselves. And this, he says, is the application of the subject. And as we've already mentioned, this is super brief. Consider ourselves then as to the past and as to the future. If Christ went about doing good, what does it mean for us? Well, he says, with regard to the past, think with sorrow and shamefacedness. Have we really gone about doing good? There are some here, he says, who I'm afraid have never done any spiritual good. In some cases, the tree is corrupt and cannot bring forth good fruit. But, uh, Master, he says, there must have been times when I might have served you when I haven't done it. You see, it's not just that some may have an empty profession or no profession at all. He's talking, too, about God's people. I've been an unprofitable servant. I haven't done what was my duty to have done. Ah, some of you have missed a world of joy in having done so little good, says Spurgeon. You haven't given, and therefore you're not increased. You never gave much to others, and so they haven't given back to you, full measure, pressed down and running over. You have not borne the burdens of others, but uh, so your own burden has become heavy and intolerable. Christian, must you not drop tears of regret? And do you not bless that preserving love which follows you still, yes, which will never let you go, that despite your barrenness and unfruitfulness, Jesus Christ will not cease to work upon you till he has made you meet or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And if you grieve over the past and what you lack there, then consider at least the future. Are you resolved to go about doing good? Are you able to do so? And again the reply comes, you must first be good or else you cannot do good. And the only way to be good is to seek the good one, the good master. And then, if you have a new heart and a right spirit, go your way and serve him. 
to the wicked, God says, What have you to do to declare my statutes? The Lord wants righteous men, righteous in Christ, the clean-handed to do his work. So wash first, be clothed first in the righteousness of Christ, and then follow him, and follow him well. Have you any work to do which you can set about at once? If you have, whatever your hand finds to do, do it. There's no need, says Spurgeon, to be asking for greater abilities than you have. If you can get them, do so, but use what you've got. So the housewife, go to your house, and from the lowest chamber to the top, go about doing good, and there's a broad range for you. Teacher, go to your little school, and among those boys or girls, let your example tell, let it have an impact, and there's a wide range for you. Go to the shop worker, and among your fellow workmen, let fall here and there a word for Christ, and let your example shine, and there's your work. Domestic servants, the kitchen's a big enough sphere for you. You can go doing good from the dresser to the fireplace, and have width enough and verge enough to make it a kingdom consecrated to God. Without leaving your position, whether you're a ploughman, or a cobbler, or a needlewoman, or a carpenter, good sisters, you don't need to be nuns, brothers, you don't need to put on the surge and become a monk in your own calling, in this place, in this world, in your sphere, you can do good. The best preparation for that will be renew your dedication to Christ, be much in earnest prayer, seek the sanctifying influences of the Holy Spirit, and then go forth in your master's strength with this as your resolve, that as portraits of Christ himself, it shall be said of you, he went about doing good. And my friends, if, if that's what we manage, if that's what in dependence upon grace we go away from today and say, that's the kind of man I want to be, that's the kind of woman I want to be, that's the kind of life I want to live, not because it makes me in myself a little happier, a little bit more self-satisfied or, or wins the applause of men and women in the world or even in the church, but because my Saviour went about doing good and I want to follow him. That's my great desire. That's my great design. You've been listening to From the Heart of Spurgeon with me, Jeremy Walker. I hope that today's podcast has been a blessing to your soul and if you'd like to share that blessing with others, please leave us a review on your favourite podcast app, especially if you live outside the United States. I'm told it makes a genuine difference. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you'll tune in again next time.